Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah with you in the Kintech studio. And it is brought to you by Grip Auto Entire. Quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. Lots to come. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. Don Taylor will join us as it is still crisis season for yeah. the Vancouver Canucks. Is it ever? Holy. Two losses over the weekend to the Toronto Maple Leafs and Boston Bruins, respectively. Um, Canucks score a pair of goals in each game, but if we're being honest about it, they weren't really close in either game, Sat. Well, they were for 20 minutes in Toronto. Okay. You know, they had the, they, they the 2 nothing lead after 20 minutes. And Sto- hey, story of the season, Canucks put one period of three well together. No question, but I'm just saying, at that point, it was like, yeah, a lot of people were like, wait, we've seen this before, you know, they're yeah. going to lose this game, but it was kind of like, they're up 2 nothing against Toronto, Toronto hasn't been good, maybe, just maybe, they win this game, and then, you know, they... They absolutely fell flat. But there was a moment of hope, perhaps, against Toronto in the first 20 minutes. They did what they did. And uh, there were certain things that I I, I did really like, um, especially for Miller in that first period against Toronto. Funnily enough, uh, he ends up having one of the worst nights on the team, at at least by the numbers. Mm. Um, But again, in the first period, I thought he made a concerted effort to stay above the puck in the offensive zone, uh, making sure to help the team not get caught in transition. Even on a couple of the instances where his line got stuck in their own end, I thought he was doing well and his wingers let him down with poor support on the walls and things of that nature. But, you know, in the end, it's a results-based business. And uh, they could put it together for one period, but they didn't stick with it. And as soon as something went wrong, it all started to fall apart. And that's really the story of the Canucks season through 16 games. And they are so, so frail. Like anything knocks them over. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of been the story of the season, like you mentioned. And bad call, missed call, doesn't what, whatever it is. Bad like, bounce. And we're not saying anything you haven't heard before. No. You know what I mean? And it's 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 really nothing new. You know, Rodrigo sent a note yesterday, last night on the on the post game show, and mentioned, and he and he and he went to great pains to say he still listens to every show and he loves the show and loves the inside. But it's like he catches himself after the post game show, saying, "Am I listening to the same post game show as the one before?" And it wasn't a criticism. He's like, "All you guys can do is break down the games that you see, and the analysis is whatever it is. Yeah. But it's the same things that keep happening, game in and game out. The breakdowns sound the same. Like, hey, we we break down every goal against and talk about what went wrong." And they all sound the same. There's nothing I can do about it. Like I can't lie about. I can't just make stuff up. You know what I mean? Like maybe what I should start doing on the post game show is just yeah. talk about fictional games. You know, so at least it sounds different. Just, just start talking about up. old games. Yeah. yeah, old games or whatever I watch. It's like random Canucks game from 1985 or yes. something. You know what I mean? Like tonight was a night where Burray and McGillney just unstoppable. Yeah, you know, together those guys. Who who knows what they can do. Yeah, I mean, Rick in Toronto, uh, who is from Victoria but is in Toronto right now, texts in and says he was in Toronto for the game. T.O. fans were booing the Leafs. They were in the first period. They were booing the Leafs. That's how listless the Leafs looked after Borea Salming had the the emotional tribute to him. They didn't look inspired at all. They looked listless. They did. And he says the Canucks look great. Then they died. That's Rick from Victoria. (laughs) And that's essentially it. They they were, I mean, the first 20 minutes, they were, I mean, maybe a lot of it was the Leafs weren't there, but the Canucks were winning every puck battle. They were on top of the puck, like you mentioned. They were playing well. And then it all just kind of withered away pretty, pretty quickly. It's, uh, (laughs) 
it, it, it's constant with this team, their inability to get things going, to turn things around when they start going against them. It's, it's just so few and far between that mm-hmm. they've had those types of moments. And even a, like the, the Anaheim win, it's like, uh, okay, um, not very good, but they held on against yeah. one of the few teams in the league that's actually worse than they are right now. And even the Ottawa game, that's a team that's down on its luck and was in the midst of a long losing streak when the Canucks beat them. But all the Canucks really did for the first 40 minutes was stay in the game on the scoreboard. Mainly because of their goalie. Otherwise, they had their blows, their doors blown off there too. I just, I, I don't know what's left to really latch onto with this team. Sat. It's done. It's done. It's over. There is. I don't think there is anything with this core that can change my mind onto what it actually is, and that is a fugazi. Okay, yeah. it's a fake. There's some good individual talent here, but that's it. Yeah, but that's nothing new. Like we've we've been under that impression now for weeks, for a couple. Well, of weeks I now. fooled myself into thinking my worst take of the summer. Sat, you know, I don't know what my worst take of the summer was. Which was the was start it? of this season wouldn't be like the last one. Wrong again. They yeah. have one fewer point through 16 games than they did a year ago. They actually found a way to be worse. But it's not the core, right? And it's clear. I think it's very clear. It's very clear that. The expiry date has passed. Yeah. Changes have to happen. Changes are going to happen. It's only a question of when. Like, it's really just a matter of when. It's not if. It's when. Everything is when. So what is that change? I don't know. And honestly, um, for as much talk as there is talk around Bruce Boudreaux, which is coming from a genuine place, you know, it's, it's very clear where it's coming from because you've seen management show very little faith publicly yeah. in Bruce Boudreaux. Very little support. We know it. Uh, the interview that was talked about around the hockey world from last week right here on uh, Canuck Central yeah. last Monday. So uh, it's very clear what his standing is here long term. So the noise is there for a reason. Yeah. My sense is they would rather make a trade than fire the coach. So there, there seems to be a growing feeling in the hockey industry right now. Yeah that the clock is ticking, that maybe the only reason Bruce Boudreaux isn't getting the axe today is because of a very Vancouver feel to the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions, which will start in under an hour's time with Henrik and Daniel Sedin and Roberto Luongo. Even others that say it could happen as soon as Wednesday when they return to Vancouver from this road trip you don't get the sense that is the case it could happen and because what i have been told it's hey anything could go right situation now mode all bets are off at this stage and when you're at this stage everybody's on high alert for something coming down the pipeline but i don't believe there's a sense that something's about to happen with the coach internally i think the only people that know if and when something's going to happen is alvin and rutherford and I don't think there's a growing sense internally, at least not right now, that that is something that's going to come to pass. And perhaps it does, but I don't think that's the preference. Now, that's not to say they believe in the coach, but the coach is popular. Right now, if you ask Canucks fans, do you want Bruce Boudreaux to be here or not? 
the majority of the fans will say they they think he deserves to stay, and it's not his fault. They don't want him to get fired. Like there's no bloodlust from no. the paying customers for uh, Bruce Boudreaux to lose his job. Oh, I mean, they will sing Bruce. There it is. If the Canucks have a two nothing lead in the first period against the LA Kings on Friday night at Rogers Arena. Now, do I think the players, like Elliot Friedman mentioned, are waiting for something to happen? Perhaps, absolutely. I think he's spot on with that analysis. Yeah. I don't think necessarily, though, just because the players feel like something should and could happen, that management feels like they have to do something. That's kind of the sense I get. Now, there is definitely this this feeling amongst the team that they don't believe in us or whatever. Yeah. The coach doesn't seem to be the right guy. What's going to give here? There's no clarity on both, like Elliot also mentioned and everything like that. All those things are true. But I don't know if management's going to be operating on that timeline or on on those things being actual pressure points at this stage. So I, I kind of like hearing that. These players, for me, deserve the most criticism of anybody right now. There's a lot of criticism to go around, and a lot of it is warranted around the Canucks organization. Yeah. You know, the coach... I like Bruce. I liked a ton of what he did last year. Hasn't found enough solutions this year. That's completely fair, as you've talked about and as we've talked about. Management didn't get enough done in the summer. Fair to criticize what they've done in the, what, 11 months? They've now been on the job since taking over last December. Mm -hmm. I think all of that is fair, but this is mainly the same team, mainly doing the same things, throwing caution to the wind, cheating for offense yep. in tight games, and getting burned time and time and time again. Bruce Boudreaux may be, by reputation, an offensive coach, but he's not to the level of an offensive coach where he's telling his team to make bad decisions with the puck, to cheat on offense, cheat for offense when you've got a 3 nothing lead in a hockey game. No, I mean, hey, has Boudreaux found answers? No. If you look at the cards he's played this season, he's failed most of them. Yeah. Like, let's look at the Kuzmenko one. Does that make much sense here? He's a healthy scratch. Yeah. It's not like he, it wasn't like Kuzmenko broke any team rules or anything like that. It was clear, it was just simply a coach's decision on Kuzmenko. Did it work out? The Canucks lost that game. How many of those cards has he played that haven't worked out? They talk about trying to implement some new things. Are the players catching on? No. Hey, he's not finding answers. Now, you can blame it on the players, and I agree. The the bulk of the blame falls on the players. But I do think, if we're being fair in our analysis, Bruce Boudreaux hasn't been able to find answers so far this year. And I think that is a bit of an issue for him. And that's something that doesn't bode well for him being here beyond this season. But I think if everybody has their way, they would prefer to get through this year and then make a coaching change, like I've been saying for a long time. I think that is still the preference here, if you can. The question is... Does it get so bad you feel like you have to do something? But there's no external pressure like last time when people wanted Green gone because there's fatigue and they wanted Benning gone. Like they wanted somebody to pay a price. And to your point, I think there is a, a real clear understanding now within the front office that the group has to change. Yeah. And that's where the meaningful change is going to have to come, right? Like making the coaching change and stuff like that, there might be some reason for it or whatever it is, but that's not the fundamental change that is needed. The fundamental change that is needed is the players and that mix changing. That's why they would prefer to do that first to shake things up as opposed to playing the same coach card again. The last thing I would want for this team is to see a coaching change and there be another artificial bump and 
it, it, something that you're not building towards, that you're yeah. not building on, Sat. If we think about the rest of this year, the rest of this year needs to be about next year. So what? You know, the Athletics says they still have a 20% chance of making the playoffs. You can go on other sites and see that they've got an 8% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. I don't give a damn. Because this team is what it is. And until they start building something that actually matters, and I don't just mean from a roster standpoint, I mean from an everything standpoint, a way of play, a style of play, an identity, you know, that they can go out and they can target players that are available to fit what they need for their roster and what suits their identity and their style of play. Actually build a program that will lead to sustainable success. To me, that lands on more than just raw talent. Raw talent will lead it and will ultimately decide if you win the ultimate goal. But if you're going to have sustained success and build a contender, you have to build that on a foundation of a program where everybody knows what you're about, how you play hockey, and your decisions are made in your front office on which players to acquire, which players to move on from, are all based on what it is you do as the Vancouver Canucks and the style of hockey you are playing. Well, I think organizationally there's a vision for it. I think we've heard management talk about what they want to see. Now, they haven't gone into every single detail about the exact type of players they believe will fit what they want. But they talk about structure and how they play and playing the right way and everything like that. The player, sure, they they added Kuzmenko, who was, you know, on on an ELC. But Mikheyev, the type of forward they added, a guy who plays the right way, you know what I mean? Like, you start seeing the type of guy they're kind of targeting there. I don't think Boudreaux is the, play, the coach, though, to be able to implement the program you're talking about. Yeah. Not the type of program they want. Well, so I, I think, think that's that that's part of the reason we're having this conversation about Boudreaux because it seems as Rutherford's made that clear to everybody, well, publicly absolutely. and privately, that that's the case. Well, absolutely. Now, the question is, when do you bring in that coach? Yeah. Because you could do it now, but if you're trying... like, I don't think you're trying to salvage this season, you know, and I don't think you're trying to give the players an out. If anything, I, I'm completely of the mind that you should try to let these guys figure it out. Try to make trades... But if short of making trades, so what? Like, these guys are actually waiting for something to happen. You got to give me a break here. Yeah. Come on, guys. Like this happened last year. You're waiting for something to happen, and it happened. You're not getting that luxury again to to sit here and wait and not play your best and not be focused until a proverbial shoe drops first. No, that you shouldn't be afforded that opportunity. You got to get yourself out of this. That's what I would do. I wouldn't make a coaching change. I try to make trades, but I wouldn't give these guys what they want, which is an out and a new kind of voice to give them a little bit of a boost. I don't think they deserve that. We talked about this last week in the fallout of the Rutherford interview on the show. What was Rutherford trying to accomplish with that message? Yeah. As much as anything else, it was a sink or swim type of message Mm -hmm. to the roster. We know what he thinks of Boudreaux, and we know that this front office probably doesn't see him as the long-term coach. They don't see him as the long-term coach. No, and what Rutherford did was throw him to the wolves because he's not going to be the long-term guy here and to see if the players would find some sort of inspiration to play for their coach which so far 
they've shown no inspiration to do. Sink or swim. They tried to sell us that after the the win in Ottawa. Like, hey, we pulled it together for Bruce <laughs> yeah. in that third period. And then they're losing 3 nothing by the end of the first against the Habs the very next night. Yeah, it was so fleeting. who are you pulling together for? That's Bruce's maybe final game in Toronto on Saturday, Sat, as a head coach. Yeah. And he's a Toronto guy. You know, talks about that with everybody. Talks about how he's a big Blue Jays fan. And when he goes home, he's, he's, he meets with mom and all these different things. You know, it means a lot to him to play on, in his hometown. And then they just completely lay an egg for 40 minutes. They yeah. get... Well, they, started, they get the run around in the third in the third period. Yeah, and hey, they started that game well, like we mentioned before. Now we're kind of going back to it from the beginning, but they played well and then fell apart because they they wilt. They always wilt, right? Yeah. So ultimately, here the question does come down to how long can you wait before you do something? And at this stage, it's becoming very clear where the season is trending. You're just hoping for it not to completely crash down and have no positives to take out of it outside of individual performances. The only reason I mentioned this last night, the only reason you could justify making a coaching change in my estimation is to get a kickstart on what you mentioned that you're trying to build which is a program yeah what does it look like to be a canuck player what does it look like to play canucks hockey and that's something they're not establishing at all and i've been saying this now for a while and this is one of my big issues about this season and about training camp you gotta start establishing what it is you know you guys made the changes last year what is it going to look like what is canucks hockey going to be like nobody knows that yet it hasn't been developed yet and they're not playing to any sort of cohesive system in season, coming in and, and putting together the type of system this organization wants will be very difficult to do. You could come in and do a simplified version of it and try to have some success and lay the foundations with your new coach in season and hope that with whomever does stay with this group, whichever players they are, they're part of the system you're now implementing, the culture and identity you're trying to build now, and you and you grow it through the offseason and heading into next year. That would be the only logical reasoning I can understand for making a coaching change in if, season right now. I just don't I just don't see it though at the moment what making if it, sense. What if it gets to a point that the situation becomes so toxic that they have to make a change? What does that what does toxic mean? I don't know. It feels pretty bad as it currently is. I, I understand that, but what does that mean? As in like are there any untouchables right now on this team that you view? Like we talked about, like if you strip it down, essentially just the three, just the three. Reg is texting and saying no untouchables. Others are saying the same thing. Others say, hold on to Quinn and Petey. Some say hold on to Demko as well, but that's, that's it. It's like two or three guys outside of those three, 43 and 40. Let's say those are the two guys. So what are you worried about? Yeah. What are you worried about? You know what I mean? Like, what is it you're worried about? It well, you'd be most worried you're trying to that trade guys anyways. Pedersen gets fed up with the organization. That's fair. That's ultimately the most, wor- like, you still have Quinn locked in. For sure. So that's, you know, sort of you hold the cards in that situation. But he's under contract next year as well. And if you have a, if you actually have a plan and you are able to execute it over the course of the season and next year heading into next season and you get a coach in and you start putting some pieces together you can you can talk you can convince players yeah it's about you being able to communicate your plan with players and getting them to buy in and showing you know how that plan is going to be successful so I'm tired of being like, oh, what, what about how are these guys guys going to react? They've been getting they've been getting that break and that luxury for their entire existence. Well, you got to be careful with the score. Give them a chance. Keep giving them a chance. They keep getting chances and chances. And sure, they've screwed it up as well from management side. We talk about the bubble year and not investing in the team during the pandemic and how that threw everything off. And there is blood in everybody's hands yeah. here for this not working out. Absolutely. At some point, you got to get over it, though. We're two years on from that. That's right? what I'm saying. At, at some point, you have to, and they have it. 
So yeah. I think it's very clear the changes have to happen. So what is it you're trying to salvage is my point. You're trying to salvage the idea that your two foundational pieces can lead you to a serious window of success. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only thing you're trying to salvage. hundred percent. Right but I'm saying so in terms of things getting so toxic, I'm sure there is a breaking point internally. There are things they want. There's a culture they want. And, and maybe something happens that they're like, okay, we have to do something now. But I, I just fail to see a convincing argument for it at this stage. Like, what, what are we trying to save is what I'm asking. I'm with you on those two guys, but I think you can get through this season and it being bad and still hold on to those guys and convince them that it's going to work here. So at some point, it, it's just, ultimately, it's coming down to this. These players are sinking or swimming. Mm-hmm. It's, you show us <laughs> something different. Show us how to be professionals in the moment even when things aren't really going to go your way. Mm-hmm. Don't be the little kid at Toys R Us going around and pouting because you're not getting well, exactly. the, the Christmas toy you want. You, you got to grow up, right? You yeah. got to grow up. You got to play. And, you know, I, I know Ramon makes the point, hey, what about work? What about the, the kids? You know, you don't, what about, you know, Hoaglander and put Coles in? Send those guys down. You know, like if, if the environment gets so bad, send them down to the minors. Let them go and play in Abbotsford, have success or whatever. Get them away from the stench of Vancouver. Like you Columbus have is already talking about doing that. Yeah, you have exactly. You, you have some, you have options with your young players. You don't have to expose them to this if it gets that bad. Rathbone, same thing. I know he's not happy about it, but he's, he's on a one way or whatever it is. Like my point is all the guys here that you're worried about who it's getting toxic for are guys who've been here for a long time. Guys are getting paid a lot of money and guys who are really not earning what they're supposed to be earning anyways. So what is it, what lifeline is it that they deserve to be thrown at this stage? And as much as anything else, Sat, what did we learn from Kevin Bieksa two weeks ago? If there's anybody that's going to set the culture and set the right course for the franchise, ultimately it has to come down to the players in the room. It has to. Like the, like the coach can't be the guy that's like pulling every card to try and get any ounce of give a bleep meter of his roster every week, every couple of games, it has to come down to the players. And every time that they've been faced with a challenge, as you say, they've, they've wilted, right? So it's time for them to either bound, bind together or front office needs to make them accountable in the way that Jim Rutherford talked about last week and potentially start to make some trades. I don't know when that is, but it feels like it could be sooner rather than later on that front. Yeah, I mean, I think they want to make trades. They've been trying to make trades. Um, I don't think anything is imminent on that front because it's, I mean, this is not to make excuses. It's just to illuminate how little money there is around the National Hockey League. There's less than $100 million in available cap space in the entire league right yeah. now. Less than $100 million. And guess who owns about 60% of that? Arizona. <laughs> the teams Arizona, Anaheim, and Chicago. Yeah. So and, the teams and that Buffalo. are yeah, and Buffalo. So teams that aren't really looking Buffalo name like teams that aren't really looking to take on your bad contracts unless you're giving them something. So if you're trying to get off money, they're not a team that's well. They're not going to take on Garland, for no. instance. They're not trying to take on Brock Best. They're not interested in those types of players. So that those teams are out of the picture. So any other team you're looking at here almost has no cap space, and you got to thread a needle, and you got to take something back. So 
they have to find answers. That's their job. And they fail to find answers in the offseason. And that is on them. And that's why they have to wear responsibility as well. And you can talk a big game. You can say everything you need to say. And they're right about it. But you have to find those solutions. And if you are a progressive, smart front office that has a lot of staff now, find answers. That's what you get paid to do, right? And if you want to be considered uh, one of the best front offices or get into that conversation, it's not just about the team you put together. It's what they can accomplish together. And it's about time we start seeing that get accomplished. I'm patient. You have to the deadline. You have next offseason. You have to start getting things going. Like, I'm, I'm here for it. It's going to take a few months. But you got to get it done. Yeah. Like, I have no time for us getting through the deadline this year and being like, oh, we tried. No, no. no. You have time. <laughs> but no more we tried. Like, yeah. it's about getting it done. You you had time in the lead up to the last deadline because yeah. your big piece was Miller. Uh, you, you still said you had time. You end up signing Miller. Um, and now the focus is on Bo Horvat. The focus is on some of your other UFAs. The focus mainly is on how are you going to significantly change the mix of this group so you can try to set a different path moving forward. Uh, we'll keep talking about this. We'll hear uh, from Frank Saravalli coming up as our Monday Hockey Insider weighs in on uh, what the situation is with the Vancouver Canucks and what he's hearing on teams around the league as well. Ottawa looks to be trying to find a defenseman. Who else might be on that list? It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire, quality service you can trust, and 14 locations to serve you. Frank Saravalli is going to join us in a couple of moments. Um, still continued speculation over Bo Horvat mm -hmm. sat... Uh, the Canucks captain scored another goal over the course of the weekend uh, in Toronto and has continued to look good, uh, certainly uh, relative to the way the team has played in the overall. The bit of news was uh, Leafs or Canucks in Toronto and uh, no discussions with agent Pat Morris over the weekend about a new contract for Bo Horvat. Yeah, uh, a sign of the times, yeah. right? Like the sign of how things are trending with the captain, with the Canucks captain. And uh, the reality is, and we've known this for a while, Rutherford himself admitted it. They're not close. They haven't been close to anything. Yeah. And uh, I think the reason why some eyebrows were raised, because considering he is the captain and considering how public everything has been and how much pressure is on the situation, that maybe, just maybe, there will be some sort of courtesy at least. Hey, we're in town. He's the captain. A lot's going on. Let's just meet for, even if it's five minutes, you're at the ring, come by, say hi, let's say what's up or whatever it is. And I know we're not close, but hey, we still care about the guy. Let's just look, do face to face. The fact they didn't do that raises eyebrows. But also when you, when you factor in how things are going, yeah, how volatile things are, and how this team is actively trying to make something happen, maybe you don't want to sit down and talk with his agent and be disingenuous if you are considering all your options here. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Monday Hockey Insider, 
of the Daily Faceoff. It is uh, Frank Saravalli joining us uh, here on Canucks Central. Uh, thanks for this, Frank. Your your favorite topic here on Canucks Central. Uh, Bo Horvat. Are, are you surprised uh, the Canucks didn't reach out to Pat Morris while they were in Toronto over the weekend? Uh, no, I'm not because I believe the Pat Morris had a conversation with the Canucks, I guess, two weeks or so ago at this point, 10 days ago. I think they were talking about another player on the Canucks roster, and I think the conversation shifted to something. This is all secondhand, so um, take it for what you will, but this is what I was told at least, that um, the conversation was something along the lines of, hey, should we talk about Bo now? And, and the Canucks said no. Hmm. Um, so at that point, and you know, given that sort of history, plus um, you know where they're at now moving forward, um, I think Sat made a really good point about the Canucks having to consider all their options. And given that Jim Rutherford was pretty clear in your conversation with him last week, that Bo's continued hot start, 13 goals, you know, in, in um, this season to start it off, that it's only going to increase his trade value. That that probably gives you a pretty good indication of where things are heading. Well, and, and I think that's exactly right. It all comes down to them getting the value they really want, and they're, I think they're really exploring that angle. I mean, it all really comes down to when is it ultimately going to go down. If they're going to make a Bo Horvat trade, when is that going to be? The, when is the best time to make that trade? I don't think the best. I don't think it's right now where they're going to make it this month, and we'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to take to the deadline though, especially when we know the mo of Rutherford and how they would like to get ahead of things especially big players at the deadline. Do you get the sense that the Bo Horvat resolution trade-wise could be could come as soon as Christmas time or before? It, I mean, it's, po- it's possible that it comes tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. Um, I think to your point, Sat, the idea that they let this continue to sort of percolate and drum up interest, I think is probably the key. Um, that they everyone has a pretty good sense of, where the Canucks are at right now mm-hmm. and where this negotiation has been trending, not just for, you know, the last week, but also for the last while here that there doesn't seem to be any progress. So we have a pretty good sense of the writing on the wall. And I think it's also fair to ask at this point, um, you know, if, if all things are equal, does Bo Horvat want to come back yeah. given the way things have spiraled? And I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't put words in his mouth. I think he's been really disappointed by the way that this has played out and probably even a little bit frustrated. Um, but I think that's a, probably a fair question to ask, too. Well, it, it kind of feels like the Canucks are becoming the a bit of a laughing stock around the league. Maybe that's a harsh word, but... You know, I, I have to imagine other players around the league are like, what the heck's going on over there? I mean, this the, the same thing seems to keep happening with this club. It's not just the same thing. I think it feels like there's continuous drama yeah. that it doesn't ever seem to be ending. If it's not JT Miller, it's something else. If it's not the coach, then it's something else. Like it, It's always something, and I think that's probably what, is steering players the wrong way if that's indeed the case and i think you know if you're looking at this you know to go back to bo horvat for a second if you're looking at this from a purely logical perspective um and you know that the canucks are going to begin at some point later this season if this continues 
um, to really begin to pluck larger contracts off of their roster, you've got to start with the pieces that get you the most value. Mm-hmm. And Bo Horvat, in a, in a real short-term, narrow-focused, micro-perspective, gives you that most value. I think where things start to get really interesting is, and I had this conversation or at least a little bit of it last night with uh, our friend Thomas Drantz over a glass of wine, is where do things start to really get interesting with the rest of the roster? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have to at some point consider a trade for Thatcher Demko? Do you have to at some point consider a trade for Elias Pettersson? All those different types of conversations probably need to be had at some point over the next few months. Well, and, you know, the, the interesting, I'm, I'm not sure they'll get there, but I think we're at a point now where all those questions are legitimately being asked. And internally, I'm sure every single one of those things are internally being discussed at, or at the very least considered to some degree here. And it should all be on the table. Exactly. Especially when things are going the way it's going. And as far as Boudreaux is concerned, I think it's very clear. We all know he's not going to be the guy here long term, but at the same time, He's not the problem per se. We can talk about him not being the right guy and perhaps with him being uh, kind of caught hanging in the wind here a little bit, it might be unfair to him and optically it's not good and there are a lot of discussions and narratives here around it. But the sense I keep getting is they would prefer to do what they need to do, which is what we talked about, change the roster. The question is how long can you hold off if you can't make trades and stay with the same thing? Because I'm not sure they're quite there yet with making a coaching change. Well, the, the whole thing's been uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. And I do think that it's been unfair for Bruce Boudreaux because he did come in last year and that team did have a huge turnaround. And I don't think looking at this picture, I think the players would all tell you to a man that Bruce Boudreaux is not the problem. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the front office clearly has not seen eye to eye with Bruce Boudreaux for a number of months now. Um, it's been awkward. Uh, that conversation that you guys had last week with Jim Rutherford, like I couldn't wait. I, I immediately preceded him and could not wait to hang up the phone <laughs> and listen because the way that that was handled, it was still kind of shocking in some ways to see him be so direct mm-hmm. um, and really kind of run the coach over 12 times in a 15 minute span. Um, and it has been uncomfortable, but what comes first, like, I I think you could actually raise the question and and have a really interesting debate and argument as to whether or not it even makes sense to make a coaching change right now. Absolutely. Because given where the Canucks are at in the standings, and I've been saying this from the very beginning that, you know, and as many times has been posed to me, this team's too talented to be in, in the lottery sweepstakes when it's all said and done. But maybe you let things fester and mm-hmm. maybe you let the stink, you know, waft out from it and, and let it sort of rot for all to see if that's what your real goal is, is to get one of those, you know, prize top three picks. Maybe that actually is the smart course of action if that's what you determine is your goal. Yeah, it's with the amount of talent, though, it's it's still hard to see how they end up as a bottom five team. At, at the end of the year, it's going to take uh, they'll have to have some more deductions, even more than just Bo Horvat to make that happen. But the problem is like so many of their contracts are just incredibly difficult to move. I find it hard to see that this team can be worse than a Chicago or uh, an Arizona at the end of the year or even from what we've seen out of Anaheim. I mean, they're just they're downright bad uh, over there in SoCal. So, uh, yeah, but the wild thing is those teams. Chicago and Arizona have all been better than the Canucks this year. Yeah. 
that's what I can't put together. Like this season has been wacky in a lot of ways to start, and I I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around why this team, you know, given the pieces that they have has frankly been as bad as it is. Well, and that's, you know, that, that, that goes back to the conversation around Bruce and it's, you know, are, are, are we going to try and give this group another coach to see if, if they'll figure themselves out or, you know, are we just, Feels like that ship has failed, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. That's what I was exactly about to say. Like at some point you just put it on the players, like either you guys figure this out or we're sinking this season. That's, that's essentially what, what it feels like is happening right now. It's not just sinking this season, but it, we're going to begin to tear this down to the studs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether that means there's five guys left over from this core or there's two or whatever the number is that they deem to be fits, then that's probably the path that they're going to have to go down at a certain point. And, yeah. you know, we hate the terminology. Jim Rutherford sort of scoffed at the idea of the word rebuild last week and the conversation that you guys had with him. Uh, call it whatever you want it needs a significant change. And for whatever reason, to this point, based on the way last season played out, it's clear that the front office really resisted really making wholesale changes. Well, and the question I have more than anything is, did you miss a window of valuation of some of your players? Now, Miller's been signed, and that uh, that obviously makes an impact, but other guys you didn't make trades for. And were you trying to pursue the perfect trade and you you maybe passed on some opportunities? That's the question. And I think with them playing as poorly as they are, is the valuation of their players even worse than it was this offseason? I'm sorry, you cut out there. Oh, so, so I think I think the question essentially is: Have they missed the boat on getting some value on some of the guys they're looking to trade? And that right now, as much as they need to make those trades, they're kind of stuck. Well, they've missed the boat on JT Miller for sure. Like I, I think that's really clear at this point. Um, and that contract is going to be really difficult to move now. Um, I wonder if there is any impact on on Brock Besser. I'd say the jury is still out on that. Um, But, like, just in terms of moving some other pieces that you have, it's going to be really difficult, not just based on the contracts, but also based on the actual clauses in the contracts when it comes to someone like Oliver Ekman-Larsen or Tyler Myers. Like, those are going to be difficult if not impossible to move well you can't do anything about those i mean the question i have i mean the guy i'm i'm wondering where you benjamin mentioned Besser, and we'll see is connor garland like does he actually have i mean he, i know he makes 4.95 for the next few years and i know he you know he's good and got, got good analytics and all that sort of stuff but but what type of value does he have like are teams even interested in taking him off your hands and giving you cap space i think you could make a deal work for connor garland i do um i've i've always been a big fan of of Connor Garland and his game and and the tenacity that he plays with. Um, Part of the complexity of it will be the fact that the deal is pretty backloaded. And that's actually a theme that we've seen with a lot of Canucks contracts, you know, dating back to sort of right around the pandemic. Um, And so that might play into it a little bit in terms of real cash. But, you know, it's funny when you look at um, a, a GM had told me this a long time ago, that when you look at players and you evaluate in terms of just at a pure high level, quick math scenario, you know, cap hit to point production, 5 million bucks, 50 points, 6, 6 million bucks, 60 points, et cetera, et cetera. 
and it kind of goes up from there, it's it's easy back in the napkin math. And when you look at Connor Garland, even though his season was probably disappointing in some ways, um, and certainly um, he talked about his frustrations that he had last year, he still ended up collecting almost 20 goals and 52 points. So mm-hmm. at $4.95 million, um, it's not a back-breaking deal as the cap goes up, and he's still only 26. So you're getting prime years of Connor Garland. And to answer your question, I would say, yeah, I think he does have some value, and that would be a piece that you'd probably have to look at. So uh, I don't necessarily want to take this back to Bo Horvat, but on the idea of trading a big-time pending UFA in the Horvat mold – um, what do you get nowadays for a rental? I, I think back to the Taylor Hall deal, which was in 2019, I guess. And even then, New Jersey got a first round pick plus like a, and a lot of quantity, but no real quality prospect in that deal with with Arizona. Is that is that kind of what you're looking for? If If you do go down that path of trading a big time pending UFA? It's really hard to make a deal for a rental. It just is. It's rentals and it's guys that have huge qualifying offers. We saw that was a theme of last summer. And you've seen teams that, you know, potentially are in contender mode that shy away from the rental proposition because it so rarely seems to work out. Like, unless there's something that you can work out in terms of a deal, um, and I don't know how open the Canucks would be to that sort of idea in terms of allowing a negotiation to take place before the deal is consummated so that they can get more in return. Um, but it, you're seeing a, a, a real squeeze in the last you know, four to five years in terms of the rental price. And I think that's probably a fair starting point is that teams end up looking for a package that includes three or four pieces. And instead of focusing on the quality, there's way more focus on the quantity and it never really seems to work out as opposed to just getting one or two mm-hmm. really quality pieces. Uh, before we let you go, looking around the league a little bit, is a team that's is any team close to being as motivated as Vancouver to make deals? And if it, there is a team as motivated as them, is it the St. Louis Blues? I think St. Louis would be on that list. I think at a certain point Ottawa would be on the list. Um, I think Toronto is getting to that point and maybe not in terms of urgency, but with the newfound freedom and flexibility that they have with Jake Muzzin. Um, I think Calgary is a little antsy to get uh, a scoring winger. And then kind of from there, you see other teams that might be interested in shaking things up. I would include Nashville on that list. Um, I think Chicago is a team always open for business and willing to take on contracts. You saw they got in with Jason Dickinson, and he's turned his play around and, and had a snarky little comment back for Vancouver. Um, other than that, I think that's sort of the lay of the land in terms of teams that are really motivated to do something right now. Edmonton could potentially be in that mix, but with Evander Kane coming back, it's a lot more complicated. Uh, Frank, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Uh, there is Frank Saravalli, our uh, Monday Hockey Insider on Canuck Central. Yeah, good insight as always on the Canuck situation. And as we've been talking about, yeah, you can make a coaching change or whatever, but is that really the change that's necessary here? If anything, it's a trade. Now, it's been hard 
you know, but people texting in, and you know, they, they make a good point. I, I, I'm tired about hearing how hard it is to make trades. You, you got to find a way to find answers, and I don't dis- disagree with that. You have time to the deadline, but it's it's there. Like to me, you can make the coaching thing. Well, it's fans cosmetic. at the same like at the same time, fans are gonna like crush the team for not making a trade, and then if they make a trade where it's like we're making a trade for the sake of making a trade and we know we're taking an L mm-hmm. on this one, you're going to get crushed for taking an L on a trade. But, but honestly, I, I, they shouldn't care at all about consumer fans, reaction. Yeah. It's, it, to me, it's, it, it's at the point now where you got to do what's right for the team long-term, yeah. how, however that is, right? And the changes that need to be made and do them to the best of your ability. And you're trying to get value. And if you look at the Canucks situation now, we'll see what happens with Besser, but he probably has to play a little bit better before you know things look favorable in terms of a trade. Garland... Yeah, but but what's the, what what are you getting right? And you still have to make. I think you're at a point now where you're trying to pursue these deals to get good value. You're trying to get get the right defenseman, but it's like sometimes you have to also make some sacrifices and just accept the fact that the cap space is more important here or whatever it is, yeah. and and not worry about winning the trade. The Bjorkstrand deal. I keep saying it for like Connor Garland. That's probably what's out there, or but maybe it, what was out there over the summer. Potentially. Now, maybe you wait to the off season and you get the same deal, or you get the same deal now. And like I mentioned before, hypothetically, and I don't see Columbus doing this because they may as well tank. Line is now oh, hurt. Renski's hurt. What's the point? They're, they're not trying they're, to salvage the season right now. Aaron Portsline, who covers them uh, very closely, is saying they're gonna they're getting ready to send down like Cole Sillinger, yeah, David Yurichek. Like they're sending their guys to the AHL. And they're just tanking on the season. Yeah. So uh, they're that close already. Exactly. So, I mean, if it, the hypothetical was, would you trade Garland for a Gustav Nyquist, who's an expiring contract, and then just get the money off the book? So after next year, the $5 million opens up for you? Yeah. They don't seem to be a team that's interested in that, nor should they be at this stage. Is there another team interested in doing something along those lines, potentially? You know, like, is that something you look at? Um, I mean, for instance, Patrick Hornquist with the Florida Panthers. Yeah, he makes five point three five million, and he's he's a veteran and all that sort of stuff. He's valued, but he, he's not he's no longer the player he once 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 was before. Yeah. That's a team that's contending and trying to win. Would you make a trade with a team like that to take that expiring contract and get something off your books? You know, that's maybe what you're looking at here potentially, right? And well, even New Jersey, like things have gone so well for them, it's like why would we change anything right now? Well, exactly. So you're looking at teams that have a reason for it, and yeah. even a team like say the St. Louis Blues, is anything Vancouver has? Outside of Bo Horvat, which I think can see Doug Armstrong being interested in, but like, is there anything there that you look at and say, okay, this lines up for what they want from Vancouver? They're trying to rebuild their centers. They're trying to get rid of O'Reilly, maybe, and retool things a little bit. If you're trading for Brock Besser, you're not giving Vancouver cap space. You're giving them something. Yeah. Tarasenko is an expiring contract. You're probably selling as a UFA. You're not getting him as a make way to take Harner Garland or Brock Besser back. Nope. So you go through the teams and you look at it, and it's like, you know, you got to find some solutions here. We start seeing how little cap space there is and the type of options you're kind of looking at here. The way, uh, you know, I would view Garland and Besser as trade pieces is potentially, you know, you get to the deadline and you find teams that are maybe a year ahead of schedule coming out of their rebuilds or they're still kind of in a playoff spot, but they see that their window is two to three years down the line. Yeah. And they're looking for players that can help them push for this year and see them as a part of, you know, the continuing push, right? That's what I think Connor Garland would be looked at and potentially Brock Besser as well for teams that are are, are looking to make those trades. But realistically, the biggest one you're making that probably could happen soonest 
of significance is the captain, is Bo Horvat. That's the one you can make. Now, what, what Frank mentioned, and we'll dig into this more on the other side. You know what? We'll take, we're getting tons of text messages today. Yeah. We'll take a lot of your comments. We'll take some questions, and we'll really interact coming up the next segment. I know a lot of people have ideas and questions about stuff, so we'll, we'll dig into that, really, about what, what Frank said. But just quickly on the Bo thing, you're trying to develop a market, too. Yeah. And are, are you at a point now where, where teams are at a stage where they're trying to get Bo and they're competing with each other and driving the price up? No. And if it's not here, you have to wait for that to happen. I'm not sure when that time is. It's just probably not this week, you know? <laughs> no, it's it's not. And and even I remember when Hall was traded, it, it felt early in the trade season for Hall. And it, that trade happened in December, going to Arizona. Arizona had a hot start to the season and they were feeling good. They made the trade. And things started to fall apart for them right after they made the deal. But usually, you know, I think you're looking around sort of the all-star break, which is end of January, where things really start to heat up on the trade front. That, and also, I think once you start getting around December. Yeah. Because then it, and then the standings matter a bit more. You know, I know American Thanksgiving does matter in terms of the teams are out of it. They're like, okay, we got to decide what we want to do. And yep. we're thinking towards the future. But it's not like teams are waiting to say, okay, we're here and let's make trades today. You know what I mean? And so there is that, that December timeline as well. To me, December is the earliest that you're looking at. We'll, uh, we'll keep talking about the next steps for this club. Take your comments as well on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox for those that are listening live. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. The hockey shop in Surrey is moving to Langley. Their last day in Surrey is November 14th, and they'll reopen in Langley November 19th. Details at thehockeyshop.com. This is Canuck Central.